We apologize for any extra noises you may hear around you this morning. Our stomachs are growling because we are in a new sermon series, Secret Sauce, and there's a lot of references about food. You have been warned. If you're a guest and you're not too hungry after this morning's message, would you fill out the Connect card attached to your worship guide and bring it with you to the Connect Hub in the People Street? We'd love to meet you and give you a free t-shirt just for being our guest. Volunteers and members, make plans now to hear from our elders about the incredible things God has done in 2016 and where we believe He's leading us next in 2017. This will be an exciting morning of food, worship, vision, and prayer you won't want to miss. If you're a member, leader, or volunteer, then you're invited to come out. There will also be a vote to approve the 2017 budget. We would love to hear from you if you are planning to attend so we can have food and childcare ready for you. Please RSVP by January 22nd. We hope to see you there. If you'd like to learn more about the budget before the event, visit mtera.org or come to the budget discussion on January 22nd in the Vision Casting Room. Elevation Weekend is our local weekend retreat from February 16th to 19th. We bring in a great speaker and an amazing band. And we set up in local host homes, dividing students into groups by gender and grade. College students serve as discussion leaders, providing real application from their large group teaching. If you do nothing else with us, come to Elevation and let us show you how much students mean to us. Register at mtera.org and hurry, the cost goes up after February 1st. Mount Ararat is one church in multiple locations. Whether you're worshiping with us at Garrisonville, Courthouse, or online, we hope you feel at home. Hey, good morning, church. <laughs> hey, on February the 5th, we're going to join together for an awesome time of worship, but we're also going to celebrate Super Bowl Sunday that day. So as you arrive on the campus, you're going ha- to hear music in the parking lot. We're going to be grilling hot dogs and eating popcorn. We're going to be tailgating around the fire pits. We're going to have a cool uh, photo booth. You can come and, you know, kind of get your picture. You can post that thing on social media. All your friends, they'll think you're at the big game. And uh, we, we want to we ask you to, to wear your favorite jersey that day, and unless, uh, unless you're a Steelers fan, then you can leave it at home. You're excused. And then, yeah, I'll make it interviews today. But, it, but most importantly, we want to make this a day of invitation. You know, Pastor Todd has talked a lot in recent days about being a good neighbor. Well, this is an opportunity for you to kind of step up the game. Uh, Next week, we're going to have invitation cards. You can grab those and invite your neighbors to come. It'll be a great day while we're having fun, while we're celebrating, kind of relax, but we're going to have an awesome worship, and we want you to come and be a part of that. And, And if you Find me, and you've got your uh, Patriots jersey on. I'll have something a little extra special just for you that day. All right, there you go. All right, now, as you stand, would you do me a favor? While you're standing on the count of three, I want you to yell out your favorite football team. Stand up in one, two, three. Awesome. Now, high five three neighbors next to you.
What a beautiful name it is. 
compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Sing that again What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name it is Nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus What a beautiful name it is Just keep singing that What a beautiful name it is As you're singing this, close your eyes You know this song now Love Jesus What a beautiful name Nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Sing it again What a beautiful name it is Just raise holy hands to him If you're comfortable, sing out to him Sing it out to him What a beautiful name it is. Let him hear your voice. Come on. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Just keep playing that band. Just your eyes closed for a moment. When we gather like this church, is not for, it's really not for us. We gather because we're here to give our Lord praise and honor adoration and thanks because we're here sometimes it's uncomfortable to do certain things but I'll tell you this when you do something physical in worship something happens I don't can't explain it it's something to do with the Holy Spirit and I know for some this is the most uncomfortable time when it gets quiet we're gonna turn the lights down a little bit lower guys and I want you to I'm gonna push you guys this morning just a little bit because no one's looking around I want you, if you feel like you can, if you feel like God's leading to do this, I want you to raise your hand. And, and let me tell you what this means. When I raise my hands like this, I just want to teach you guys something. This isn't because I'm trying to get attention. When I do this, all it is is saying, God, here I am. I surrender. I'm open. I need you. I love you. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of saying, God, help me right now and honoring him. If you can do that right now, just raise your hands. And if you can, it's fine. If you want to kneel, if you want to come up the altar, if you, you know this place is free. We're going to sing this one more time just to him. And I want you just to sense the spirit right now.
Amen, amen. Amen. Thank you for singing with us. You may be seated, Jim. you believe that today? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. And before I begin, let me just read from Psalm 139. It says, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you and When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, we thank you for being here with us today. We thank you for being the author of life as well as the perfecter and the giver of salvation and truth. And as the people of God standing underneath the words that you've given us through your word, I pray, God, that we would be a voice for the voiceless, that we would stand with those who are imprisoned, things that come against people's lives, sickness in this world, and that we would be a church that stands for life, all of life, that we would be a church that that champions adoption and foster care, as well as a church that stands with the voice of the voiceless, the unborn. And I know, God, as we are in interesting days as a country, there are people sitting here today that have a lot of fear about what's to come. And there are people here today that feel like their voice is finally heard and a lot of hope in the next day. But God, 
in the chasm in between, as we all come to this place today, we come needing you to speak to us. We trust your ways over our ways, and God, we want your word to be the loudest thing in our lives. And sometimes that means we have to stand when it's not easy to stand. So I pray, God, that as a community of believers, that we would bring light to this world in a powerful way, and that, God, we would give grace and mercy to all. Thank you again for loving us today with your words of truth. Now put your arms of grace around us, God, as we have fallen short in some ways of life. May today be a day we can find forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be here with you here at Garrisonville. It's good to be with you also over at our courthouse campus and for those watching online. Uh, we have been in the middle of a series that's really interesting. The conversations that we have begun this new year with and this idea of culture. And so right now, because we might have some brand new guests here today and they don't know what the title of what we're talking about is all about, would you right now turn to the people around you and tell them, what is this strange title of this series called? Come on, give it to them. Secret sauce, what in the world? What church did we show up at today? This is crazy. What in the world? Listen, I just like the title sauce. Come on, anybody with me? I'm a sauce kind of guy. I like sauce. I like sauce on my burgers. I like sauce with my french fries. I like sauce on my steak. And I like sauce on everything. We had, we had uh, at Christmas this year, we had this amazing beef tenderloin, and I had to find me what? Some horseradish sauce. I needed some sauce to go with that meal. And listen, there's something about sauce. I'm from Texas, so I like hot stuff too. I like hot stuff. I like hot buffalo. Buffalo wings. Anybody with me? Come on, you're getting hungry for lunch already. I like, listen, I'm, I'm late to the party with sushi, but I like me some good soy sauce and I'd like that green stuff. It's like wasabi, right? I mean, bam. And it's like hotter the better. Like when you're crying, you're like, this is so great, right? But, but sauce has a way of enhancing flavors. Come on, would you agree? It has a way of bringing out the best at what you're eating. And so I think it's a perfect metaphor for what we're talking about. Because what we're talking about is the power of culture. Culture is the relational part. Culture is how I wanna be treated. Culture is how I'm gonna treat others. Culture that we're talking about, powerful culture, is how I'm gonna to respond to leadership in my life, even sometimes when I'm hearing words that don't feel great to hear. How do I respond to authority and leadership? It's all about culture. Now listen, you can have, you can have a great business, you can have a great organization, maybe you're a student and you go to school, guess what, you have a culture there. Today we're at church, guess what, Mount Ararat, we have a culture. It's good or bad, we gotta decide, but we have a culture. And just when you go home today, even if you're a single adult that lives alone, or you have more than one person that lives in that house with you, there is a culture that you're building. And I'm just here to tell you, if you can get the culture right, oh man, you can move mountains. Where you can go next is powerful. You see, a good vision is good to be clear and compelling, but when you have culture that lines up with vision, oh man, buckle up, it's about to get fun. It's gonna be good. And see, this idea of culture is really what we're talking about in, in this series that we've been looking at. 
But here's the thing that I know. I could say how powerful culture is, but it's funny to me, the only time we talk about culture usually is when it's bad culture, when it's toxic, when it's not fun to go to work. That's when we talk about the bad culture that we're in. And you know why it's hard to talk about culture? Because it's not easy to change. But if we could gain some courage right here out of a new year and begin to challenge our existing status quo and begin to make culture better, it's hard to do that. But if we're willing to do that, the benefits are exponential in what could happen in the days to come. Now, if you have a Bible, we are looking at an example in scripture. Turn with me to the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, I'll be honest with you, we could have gone a lot of places in scripture because the Bible's never written just to an individual person. The Bible is written to the family of God. It's written to a community of people. Israel, and then we hear about the church. God has always intended for us to be in a relational economy. He's always saw us being connected to others. So in his mind, how we love him and how we love others, that actually does matter to God. And so we could have gone a lot of places in scripture, but I decided to go back to an Old Testament example of some really committed dudes that were committed to David, their leader. And so we're looking at David and his mighty men. Now this idea of looking at David and his mighty men, what we're looking at is their commitment and their connection with each other because it gave them what they needed to face impossible odds It gave them what they needed to experience breakthrough. And I believe that could be true for you and me as well today. And so we've been asking the question, what's the secret? What's the secret of David and his mighty men? What's the secret sauce? Well, the secret sauce is a special or distinct feature regarded as the chief factor of success. It's the it factor. It's the willing to risk. It's the willing to face the impossible. It's willing to be unstoppable. And so as we evaluate their culture and try to pull out the secret sauce, we maybe need to come here today and look at your culture and my culture. You see, it's one thing to talk about it objectively. It's another thing to put it back into our world right where we're living right now today. So I wanna ask you some questions right now real quick. How many of you here today, and you don't have to raise your hand on these, just think internally. How many here today own your own business or at least go to work during the day? Okay, or at night, I know some of you work split shift. How many of you go some, to some place where you're gonna be working with other people in another environment? Is that you? Think about your work. Okay, some of you are putting your hands up. That's okay, it's okay. We all go to work. How many of you teenagers out there, kids out there, you go every day to school? You have to go to, you have to, go to school, right, every day. It's a culture, right? You're going somewhere. Or you go to an organization or you're on a team, right? And I want you to think about that environment. I want you to think about the people to your right and your left, who are around you, who you get along with well, who you maybe don't get along with so well. And I want you to start to think about that. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to evaluate real quick the state of affairs at our culture. Here we go, here's six questions real quick. First question is this, if I could send somebody to be an objective observer and go with you tomorrow and spend about an hour there with you watching the way y'all interact with each other, what mood would this observer pick up about your culture? What would they discover about yours? Then if I were to watch your, your business or your place of work, how are decisions made? 
who, who kind of makes the call or how our decisions may be deferred or delayed. Some of y'all right now, your culture's so messed up, y'all can't make a decision. I don't, I don't know what we're gonna eat for dinner, right? Nobody can make a decision. Sometimes that happens, right? Or what about this? Are, what are the lives or the ideas, are lives and ideas valued at this place of work? Do people feel valued? Does the staff feel valued? Does the coworkers feel valued? Does everybody feel like they have some input, some ability to speak into the direction, to speak into the strategy? Or is that just somebody else's job and I'm just told what to do, right? How are people bought in? What level of creativity or enthusiasm do people share in your organization? And then the last question, probably the most subjective, do you like working there, right? One day, would you want your kid to work in that office? You're like, no way, run, right? Do you like working there? Because right now you're spending a lot of time there, a lot of hours there. What is your culture like? Come on, is this, is this preaching to anybody yet today? Right? You see, sometimes you gotta evaluate that first before we look at the, the, maybe the more hopeful place so we can see maybe what's missing in your culture. This is scary for me because I'm preaching to some people that work here at the church and, and they all put their head down when I started asking these questions. So that's convicting in itself, right? But here's the thing, is your environment, let me give you a continuum here. Is your environment inspiring? That would be the optimum side. Or is your environment toxic? Okay, and maybe somewhere in between. Maybe your environment is inspiring or maybe it's at least accepting, but maybe your environment is stagnant right in the middle. It's not inspiring, it's not toxic, it's kind of right in the middle, right? Or maybe your environment is discouraging and that's what you're going to every single day during the week. Or maybe your environment is toxic. Only you right now can evaluate this because you're the one here. And I just wondered, where does it fall in line with you? Well, listen, as we come here to the pages of the scripture and the story, David is talking about his life. But David now is at the end of his life. And sometimes when you get through it and you look back on it, you see it differently. Come on, y'all know that to be true. When you're in it, you see it one way. When you finish it and look back, you're like, oh man, look how far I've come. I don't ever want to go back there again, right? Or look at how God has taken me through this. David's reflecting. And as he's reflecting, he's praising God and he's, he's praising God for the people that God put in his life that were faithful to him all along the way. Don't you want faithful men and women in your life that will love you for you? that will treat you with truth and grace and mercy and respect. That's what David had. Now, as I thought about all of David's jobs, this is fun just to kind of chronologue again. David being the youngest of eight, eight brothers, David had the great job of being a shepherd. That was his first job. Yeah, go scoop and poop, all right? You know, go do all that with the animals. Go out there and watch the livestock. Protect the sheep for dad. Then his next job is that he was a musician and he played for King Saul. When King Saul would get all worked up, David would come in and play and it calmed him down. So that was another job. Another job he had is he was a pizza delivery boy. The Bible says literally he delivered cheese to his brothers when they were at war. And so he had that job, right? And then he got the job of being a warrior after he slays Goliath with a slingshot. That gives him great props and he ends up becoming a mighty warrior. And then the job that we've been looking at here lately is he was a king. He was a king and he was in charge of the nation of Israel. 
And as we've been looking at their community with each other, we've been asking, what's the secret? And so I wanna back up because some of you, this is your first week here, but I wanna take you back three weeks ago. We talked about the first secret sauce ingredient was what? It was humility. It was humility. Week one was humility. You ought to go back and watch that one. Week two was last week. It was grit. Ah, grit. Didn't y'all like my interview of David? I brought David up here and he shared a little bit about his life and persevering and grit. That's another ingredient. Well, today, today, come on, put this out there on your page today. Today, we're going to talk about the idea of loyalty. Loyalty. What comes to your mind when you think about loyalty? Come on, who stands with you through the thick and thin? Come on, it's about sauce, right? Thick and thin, thick and thin, you with me? Loyalty, loyalty. Or I'll just go this way because Jerry already came up here and sabotaged our service with that ungodly jersey it wore. <laughs> I'll just say this, I'll just say this. Last, last Sunday, I was a cowboy fan. Last Sunday. <laughs> This Sunday, seven days later, after that miserable heartbreak, guess what? I'm still a Cowboy fan. Come on, I'm loyal. I'm loyal, right? I'm a heartbroken Cowboy fan, but I'm loyal. 20 years of misery. Can we not win a playoff game? Curse you, Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm bitter, but I'm loyal. I'm loyal. I'm loyal. You see, what are you going to stand? What are you going to stand through thick and thin? Don't you want loyalty? Don't you want loyalty? Look at what we're gonna find here. David is recounting a story that's really rich. Join me here, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 13. It says, during harvest time, that's key. Harvest in this part of the world is a hot, dry, arid time. They're waiting for the crops to kind of come or to fruition, but it's harvest, it's, it's harvest time. And, and during harvest time, three, three of David's mighty men, three of his 30 chief warriors came down to meet David at the cave of Adullam. Now, cave, this cave is a place where David had retreated to many times in his life. A couple times he ran there when Saul was trying to kill him. Remember that? And he came to this cave of Adullam. But this time, he comes during harvest time, and this time that he's talking about, only three of his warriors showed up. While he was there, there was a band of Philistines. Philistines were the enemies to Israel. And they were all camped out in this valley nearby. At that time, David was in the stronghold. He was in the cave. And the Philistine garrison had taken up residence in a town called, what's it say there? Bethlehem. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, this is also David's hometown, Bethlehem. And guess who's got, who's got kind of that place locked down right now? The Philistines, the enemies do. And so David is at this cave with three of his mighty men and he begins to long for something. Watch this. He longs for some water. He said, oh, if someone would just give me a drink of water from the well that's right near the gate of Bethlehem. So not only is he a dry and thirsty, David's a little bit nostalgic here. 
You ever long to go back home? And when you go back home, you always hit that first stop on the way home. For me, when I get back to Texas, where I gotta go, I gotta go to Waterburger because we don't have Waterburger up here, right? And so when I go back home, I'm, I'm longing. I can't wait to get off the plane. If I fly into Southwest, if I fly Southwest Airlines, it goes to Love Field, they got Waterburger in the airport, you know? Oh, David's longing. He's longing for something here. If I could just get water from that well, that familiar well that I used to get water all the time for my family and for my sheep, if I could just drink that water, that's what I want. So guess what happens? The three mighty warriors hear his request and then they broke away from the cave. They went all the way through Philistine lines and they draw water from that well that David talked about near the gate of Bethlehem and they carry it all the way back to David. When they get back to David, David takes the drink, but he refuses to drink it. Instead, David pours out this water before the Lord. Far be it for me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of the men who went to risk their very lives? And David would not drink it. Loyalty. These men give David loyalty. Did you see this? Do you see this? Today, I want us to pour out a few things about loyalty as we talk about this thing called secret sauce. And I want you to catch this. And and I want you to see this as we pour out this first part. I want you to see this. Loyalty is to be earned, not demanded. Write that down. Loyalty is to be earned, not demanded. Loyalty is about trust. Trust takes time. Over time is how you develop loyalty. Loyalty is earned. Loyalty is never, ever demanded. You ever worked at a place where they're demanding you to be loyal? They're trying to tell you, you know what? If you don't like it here, you better, you better be committed here because we're gonna, we want you to be loyal. Listen to me. Can I tell you this? When you start to demand loyalty, it becomes toxic immediately because you can't demand something that's supposed to be earned. Within every workplace and every organization, there are people that are givers and takers. Givers and takers. What kind of worker are you at work? Are you a giver or a taker? Now to kind of help us to evaluate this, I thought I'd put a little test out there. So let's just take a test. Let me show you something real quick. And as you respond to this, you're gonna tell me a lot about you. Just look at this real quick, look at this real quick. The narcissist test, step one. Take a moment to think about yourself. Step two, if you made it to step two, you are not a narcissist. And how you laugh or don't laugh at this tells me if you're a giver or taker, right? Some of us, we can't even get past ourselves, right? It's the selfishness that's within all of us by nature and we forget that loyalty is not something you demand, it's something you what? You earn, you earn, you earn. Now let me just kind of break this story down because I want you to see this. There's something about this story that's just so rich for me. This trust that grows over time comes through sacrificing for the other. Now when we look at this story, this story that David's telling, he's an old man remembering back. The story that he's talking about actually happened many years ago. If you want to know another place in the Bible to find this story, it, it's 2 Samuel chapter 5. David had just become king. 
King Saul's dead and gone. King David's the new king of Israel. And the Philistine enemies heard David's now becoming king and they're afraid because they know what kind of a rock star David is. They're like, if he gains a, a, you know, footing in this, this kingdom, we're, we're all gonna be done. So let's attack him while they're young in this leadership. Let's attack him now and let's catch him off guard. And so the Philistine army came against David and the Israelites. And David wasn't ready for the attack. So David did retreat and he ran to this familiar place, the cave of Adullam, to regain his bearings, to think, what are we gonna do now that the enemy has come? And it's in this moment of attack, maybe that's you right now, you're in the middle of an attack again and you're wondering, God, where are you? God, what's gonna happen next? That's what's going on with David. And he begins to think out loud, if I could just get a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And even what he was asking was ridiculous because guess what? Who was in Bethlehem? The Philistines were. Now, to give you some geography, because this is kind of cool when you start to undermine what really happened here, these guys heard what David wanted and they begin to think, let's make it happen for our leader, right? You gotta like that kind of loyalty because guess what? The, the cave of Adullam was 12 miles from Bethlehem. Uh-oh, 12 miles, almost a half a marathon. You with me? And so what do they do? They start running. And not only is the race 12 miles, listen, it's a fun kind of race where you got to sort out and you're fighting your way for 12 miles to get through. That's the kind of marathon y'all need, right? And when they finally get there, they got to break through enemy territory, fight to get to the well, get the water up, get it into the canister, right? And they scoop it up. And then guess what they got to do? They got to get back to the cave of Adullam. How many miles away is that? Oh my word, a marathon working here. Are you with me? Listen, I've only run one marathon. I've only run one marathon. I will never ever run another marathon. As I was running that race about halfway, I called my wife, she said, you're already done? I said, no. I said, give me a cause. Give me a reason why I'm running this. I need cancer. I need some kind of childhood disease. Give me some reason why I'm running this because I want to die right now. <laughs> These men run 24 miles behind enemy lines to fetch David some water. That's some loyalty. Will you give me that? That's some loyalty. Let me ask you this. Would you do that for a coworker? I wouldn't run a 5K for a coworker. I mean, you're like, that's crazy, right? Would you do this for your boss? Would you risk your life? Would you risk death to get what this person means to you, to show them how much they mean to you? To me, when I look at this story, I'm blown away. This is an amazing, amazing commitment. And they didn't do this just for a paycheck. Man, this loyalty went deeper than that. There was commitment and connection. Don't you want people that would do that for you? That would go that kind of distance for you? Would you do that? Forget work, would you do that for your kids? Yeah, many of you would. Would you do this for your spouse? I hope you would, right? Would you? We start to think about it like that, man, am I loyal? Am I loyal to the people around me? I want loyalty from everybody, but, but how do I gain it? I gain it through what? Earning it, earning it, earning it. Loyalty is to be earned, not demanded. 
Isn't that what he's trying to show us here? And somehow these guys were willing to put their life on the line for their leader. And I love that the details of the story says it was at harvest time, which tells us code, it was a dry, hot time. You know what we have to do? You know what we like to do? We like to wait for all the stars to line up in the sky and the conditions are perfect. Then I might help somebody. Uh Uh-oh. But you know what? The conditions weren't ideal and they did it anyway. There's something even more dramatic about that, right? That they're willing to put themselves on the line. You know what I love? One one writer I've been reading a lot of, Samuel Chan, he wrote this book called uh, Cracking the Church's Culture Code. He says loyalty Loyalty grows best in hot environments. And he uses the word hot for an acronym. Environments that are filled with honesty, openness, and transparency. Hot environments. Does this describe your workplace? Honesty, openness, transparency. Does this describe even your home? Does this describe our church? Are we a church that's honest and open and transparent with one another? What kind of culture are we growing here? Is loyalty one of the aspects, one of the secrets that could help us to become stronger together? This idea of what we'll do for the other is powerful. Listen, there's a lot of passages in the Bible that points to this kind of loyalty. I'll just give you two because uh, I think they're good tattoo verses. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a, a friend loves at all times, but a brother, oh, a brother is born for what? Adversity or challenge. That's when you know who's really real in your life is when you're going through a difficult time, who's still standing with you, right? Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One woman sharpens another. It's about relationships that sometimes spark, but yet that spark can be good if we'll hang in there, hold on, and keep being loyal to the other. Wow, loyalty is something to be earned, not demanded. One of my first jobs out of college as I shared a moment ago, um, we had a lot of people turning over in the staff and it was driving our boss crazy. And he sat us down and he gave us this lecture about how we needed to be more loyal to him. And I started thinking, man, when you're demanding loyalty, you're already on shaky ground, right? Because it comes through time. It comes through relationship. It comes through sacrifice, loyalty. So it kind of works two ways here. Who's loyal to you and who are you loyal to? Is that helping anybody today? Is this helping anybody today? Come on, Green Bay Packers. Is this helping you, Todd, today? Got Aaron Rodgers on your Number two, write this down. Don't let me get sidetracked here. Let me pour out another truth. Loyalty decides to give, to give some trust over suspicion. Andy Stanley said this that kind of stirred our staff up a little bit. He said this, he says, within any organization, you've got, you've got to have gaps at times in your interactions with each other. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes because you're real people that make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes with each other. Sometimes expectations aren't going to get met. And he says, what do you do when there's a gap? Because when there's a gap, now I've got a choice. What do I put in the gap? Do I fill in that gap trust and believe in the best in that person and give them the benefit of the doubt that we're gonna work this out? Or do I fill in that gap with suspicion? Think about this one. A lot of, a lot of loyalty is broke down in your life and my life and the cultures that we're in because we have filled in the gap with suspicion instead of trust. Trust 
loves. Trust assumes the best. Trust wants to believe the best, even if we need to have a confrontation and a conversation. I'm gonna choose trust. I'm gonna choose trust. Because if I decide to choose suspicion, you know what it's based on? It's not based on love. It's based on fear. It's based on paranoia. It's based on thinking the worst about that situation and the worst about that person. And and you know what? That's what can break down really quick. You know what I love about David? He shows up in the Bible as the second king of Israel. But who is the first king of Israel? Saul, what was Saul's downfall? Fear, jealousy, paranoia. He was all afraid. He was all afraid because on the radio station, top 20 radio station, they said, hey, playing for you, the number one hit. Saul kills thousands, David kills tens thousands, right? And the more he heard that song, he began to think, do they think David's a greater leader than me? And instead of David being one of his best assets, one of his best warriors, now he became one of his greatest threats because he was afraid. He was afraid. And instead of trust, he filled the gap in with suspicion. So much so that he wanted to kill David multiple times. Isn't that interesting? I wonder today, come on, I'm about to start preaching. Are you ready? I wonder today, how many of us have, have, killed relationships of people that could have helped our lives and we pushed people away because we were living in a state of fear instead of a state of trust and belief. How many times have we been the toxic one in our business, in our work environments, in our school environments, and in our home environments because we chose suspicion over trust and belief? How many of us, how many of us have been the one to hurt this loyalty thing And yet we see here in this picture, this belief that when you fill in trust, it sure makes life better. Sometimes you and I are gonna have to fill in trust when someone has made a mess in their life, when someone's made a mistake. Sometimes when things are silent, we're gonna have to choose how we fill in the blank. I want you to hear today that by the power of Jesus Christ, you and I can choose loyalty and we can choose trust over suspicion. And I'm telling you, that's a greater way to live. Let me give you a third thing. And this is gonna sound a little more cryptic. It'll make sense as we talk about it. But let me tell you this, loyalty. Loyalty is to be poured out, not consumed. Do you get that yet? Loyalty is to be poured out, not consumed. Go, 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 right? Does that make sense yet? Let's just look at the story again. Let's think about this for a second again. I don't know how many of you, when you heard the story of what these guys would do now, thinking 24 miles behind enemy lines. Now, we don't know if they ran this thing in record time. All right, so get over that one. It could have taken them a few days to go that distance, all right? And that would have been okay. Don't you agree? No, you don't agree? (laughs) We're not saying they ran this thing, right, to become the new Ethiopian record, okay? Okay. But they went this distance, we know that. They went the distance, praise God they went the distance. We know they get the water and we know they bring it back. Now listen, I got this, this water cup right here. They might have had maybe a bladder they put it in or wine skins or jug or something. But they run all the way back. And don't you know, they're thinking in their mind, I can't wait to give this to David. 
because it's what he longed for. It's what he imagined out loud and we brought it to him. I can't wait to give it to him. And then when they finally give it to him and they see his face and they're ready for some kind of response, some kind of reaction, what does David do? He what? He takes it and goes, ah, and he pours it all out. (laughs) No, you know, but we lose this. Something gets lost in our culture and our interpretation of this because we're looking at that and going, what a waste. Those guys wasted all that time. But did they? But did they? But did they? Because what they told David was this. David, we love you and we're for you, heart and soul. We are loyal to you to the end. And David, we'll risk our lives to even fetch you a cup of cold water from the well of Bethlehem. Screams loyalty, doesn't it? And what David did was called a drink offering. See, now there's a crowd gathered around him. He's recognizing the loyalty of these three guys. And you know what he does? He does something symbolically here to recognize that these guys put their lives on the line. And when he's pouring that water out and he cries out to the Lord above, he basically says, this this is like pouring out the blood of these men because these men showed me loyalty. I wanna show them loyalty back because loyalty is to be poured out. It's to be reciprocated. It's to be shared. Listen, you give me loyalty, I wanna give you loyalty. I give you loyalty. I want you to give me loyalty. And and they're doing that. They're doing that. And all these years later, David's retelling this story to what? To celebrate what these three men did for him. And him retelling that story is screaming loyalty back to these guys. May what you did here today never be forgotten. Is that not good? Come on. And when I look at that story, I think about what Mother Teresa said. She says, we're always trying to do great things. She says, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Isn't that good? It's the motive of the heart. It's behind the action. It's the loyalty that gets put on display here that I want us to see. These men were loyal and David turns right around and gives them loyalty back. Now, listen to me as we finish this story today. I still look at the story and ask some questions. That's how I'm, I'm operating, that's how I'm wired. I gotta just ask more questions to the story because there's still something here that's intriguing to me. That when we started chapter 23 and he starts talking about these mighty men in his life, he names the first three by their very names and he talks about the heroic deed that they each did. But when we get to verse 13, he talks about these three nameless mighty men. Did you notice he doesn't give their names? <laughs> I want their names. What's their names? And then later in the chapter, he lists all 37 of his mighty men. Come on, it's the list you go to when you're about to name your firstborn, right? This is like the top names right here. Just look, just look with me for a second here. These names, these familiar names. Verse 24, Ashal, that's coming back, it's making a comeback. Ethion, Shama, Alika, Halez, Ara, Abizer, Sibakai, Zalman, Mahari, Helid, Itha, Benaniah, Hidadiah, Abi Abalasha, Azamahada, Elijah, Jonathan, I like that name, Jonathan, Ahim. Iliphat, Iliam, Hezron, 
Pariah, Egal, Zelek, Nahari, Ara, Gera. And then the last one right there on the screen, verse 39, and Uriah the Hittite. And there were 37 names in all. So which of the three, which of the three were these guys? Now we don't know. He doesn't say, he just tells the act of their story again. But I want us to look at that last name because that last name really caught my attention as reading the Bible, this idea of Uriah the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite. Where does he show up in the Bible? Oh yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 11, we get to hear about Uriah the Hittite. And here's how we hear it. The chapter starts where it says, in the springtime, in the time when kings go off to war, it said that David stayed home. So when the kings go off to war, David is the king, but David doesn't go off to war, he stays home. It says this in verse two, that one evening while David was home and stood off at war, he gets up from his bed, can't sleep, walks around on the roof that night on the palace rooftop, and while he's on the rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her, and the man said, oh, her name is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of who? Uriah the Hittite one of his mighty men of God, one of the men that was loyal to him and his cause, that guy. This should have been enough wake up for David to go, what in the world am I thinking about doing here? But we know how the heart is when it wants what it wants. He says, bring her to me. I know we got kids, but bring her to me. And he slept with her and she got pregnant. So this man that's showing you loyalty, while you're supposed to be off at war in your home, you're sleeping with his wife and getting his wife pregnant. Interesting, interesting. The Bible says that David realizes he's messed up and instead of coming clean, he's trying to figure out how he can cover his tracks. The Bible tells us in verse 10 that he calls Uriah home from his military campaign and he tries to send Uriah home. In his mind, if Uriah comes home, if he sleeps with his wife and he comes back later and she's pregnant and has a baby, guess who he'll think? He'll think that's what? That's my child. But see, what we find out about Uriah is this in verse 11 that Uriah said to David, his leader, he says the ark of covenant, you know the ark where God lives, his presence, and Israel and Judah, they're all living out in tents out in the fields. He says my commanding officer Joab and my Lord's men, they're all camped out in open country at war. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Why would Uriah say that? Because he is loyal. This bothered David, this made David angry. The next night he says, Uriah, you're gonna come eat with me. And that night as they ate dinner, you know what he did? He intentionally kept filling up Uriah's cup. He got Uriah drunk, Think if I could just get him drunk, then I can get him home. But you know what, even drunk, Uriah that night slept outside on the mat just like the dogs, and he did not go home. 
So what does David do? In the morning, he wrote a letter to Joab, the commanding officer, and he sends it with who? Uriah. And in this letter, he said, put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Can you believe this? This, this man, Uriah, is so loyal to David, to the kingdom, and to the cause. He's so focused on the mission. There's no way he's gonna go home. When they can't go home, there's no way he's gonna compromise his loyalty. And then David had the audacity to write his own death sentence, fold it up, seal it up, give it to Uriah and said, take this back to your commanding officer. Can you think how dark this is? And here's Uriah going all the way back holding the letter that's gonna make him lose his life. And guess what Uriah never does? He never opens it up and reads it. Why? Because he is loyal. And sure enough, he gives it to Joab and sure enough, he loses his life and Uriah is gone. You heard the story, right? You know the story, right? Listen to me, loyalty is to be poured out. If someone gives you loyalty, you're to give loyalty back. And instead, what does David do at this one account? He what? He consumes it for his own benefit and for his own gain, which is a strike against the very loyalty that Uriah was willing to give. Are you with me yet? Are you with me yet? You know what's so funny? Is so many of us are in environments that we hate, that we recognize as bad and toxic, and God maybe put us there on purpose to change it. The secret is, is who are we gonna bow our hearts to? Is it gonna be about us at work or is it gonna be about Jesus through us at work? How can we what? Demonstrate loyalty to others at our workplace. And loyalty could be something that we could learn and grow. Does your coworkers need your loyalty? Absolutely. Does your boss need your loyalty? Absolutely. Hey, come on, kids in the room. Have you ever used your loyalty that somebody's given to you, trust somebody's given to you, and you use that trust for your own benefit and gain to their demise? We can pick on our kids, can't we? I trusted you, I believed in you, and you took my trust, and you knew what you were gonna do when you told me what you were gonna do, and then you went and did the opposite, and you what? You were disloyal. We hate that, don't we, parents? But you know what, sometimes as parents, sometimes as spouses, do we ever take the loyalty that's been given to us, the trust that's been given to us, and we use that trust for something we wanna do that breaks that trust back to them. You see, this loyalty thing is what? It's not demanded, it's earned, but it's earned and sacrificed over time. And this idea of loyalty is, is when I take loyalty from somebody that's given me that, and I consume it for me, then all of a sudden I end up just like David in his situation. Does this make sense yet today? The very next chapter, David gets confronted with what he's done. He covered and covered and covered and thought he was off the hook every step of the way. And David gets caught. Prophet Nathan comes to him and says, David, let me tell you a story. And in this story, he turns it around and he says, David, that's you. You, you're the one that had the affair. You're the one that covered your tracks. You're the one that murdered Uriah. David at this point could have fought back. 
Could have kept lying, could have kept defending, could have kept making excuses. But you know what David does? He falls down broken and he says, you're right, you're right, you're right. And he begins to weep and cry and cry out to God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I believe God did forgive. But can I tell you what? The consequence of that action had a ripple effect on the rest of David's earthly days upon his own house, upon his own children, upon his own kingdom, in his own legacy, this lapse of loyalty began to affect the rest of his days. But here he is, an old man, reflecting his days, and he's talking about his mighty men. And who does he give honor to at the end of his list? It's who? It's Uriah the Hittite. Is that not rich? Now, come on, let me push just a little harder today because I think the Holy Spirit's saying some things to some of us today about maybe some disloyalty in our own hearts. You see, it's all about what we want given to us, but are we willing to give it to others? That's where it gets trickier. But, but when I look at this story, I start thinking humanly. Let's just think about this humanly for a minute. What if Uriah, somewhere along the way, knew what David had done? Would he have remained loyal to David? If he would have found out that David slept with his wife, if he would have found out that David is the one that set him up to be killed, if he would have been on his way back and opened up that letter and read and thought, man, David's putting me to die and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna show him a lesson, how would, how would Uriah responded? Listen, as a human being, I can only imagine how that would have went, right? But you know what? We don't know that because all we know is in the scriptures, Uriah was what? He was loyal. So then I start putting myself in that situation. How would I have reacted if this happened against me? How would I have reacted? And then I thought about this. It's, it's, it's every time we come to the pages of scripture, we talk about Jesus. I love this new song that we're singing about Jesus. And so I start putting Jesus in the story. What if Jesus was Uriah? And what if Jesus knew about your rebellion and my rebellion? And what if Jesus knew about when we had that affair against Jesus and when we did wrong things against Jesus, when we sinned against Jesus? What if Jesus was Uriah? And what if Jesus knew about all the wrongs that we had done against him? How would Jesus treat me? How would Jesus treat you? Isn't that really what Sundays are all about? How God's gonna treat us in the midst of our imperfections? And you know what, where we have to hypo, you know, hypothetically think about what Uriah would have done, we don't have to hypothetically think about what Jesus would do because the Bible tells us what Jesus did. Here's what the Bible says when Jesus sees you and I in our rebellion, in our mistakes, in our affairs, he says that Jesus sees us like this and Romans chapter five, verse six, it says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see that? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. Is that not powerful? That when you and I aren't loyal, 
What does Jesus give us instead? Loyalty back. He gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness that we could never earn or deserve. He pours that out in us. He pours that out in us. Why? So that we'll turn around and pour that out in others. Come on, worship team. They're gonna come back out. And as we have a chance to reflect on the words of this story, maybe the story ended up in a place you didn't expect it to go today as we think about this theme of loyalty. But here's what I want you to see because the Bible is so clear to us to show us this is that when Jesus, the son of God comes to earth, it said that Jesus, Jesus was our drink offering. That God took the son of Jesus and he poured out his life on the cross. He poured out his blood from a cross. And it said that Jesus poured his life out as a drink offering to show us God's love for us. That God is for us. That God is filling in the gap with trust. That God is pursuing us with life. That God wants to give us loyalty. Why? So that we'll come alive in that new life in Christ. So that we'll be forgiven people. And so that we'll be people that forgive, people that love, people that trust, people that are loyal, just like David and his mighty men. For Uriah, it was a blind loyalty. For Jesus, it was an eyes wide open loyalty. So the question today is, Jesus is your drink offering. Have you ever received Jesus in your life? You see, that's really what faith is all about. It's not about religion, it's not about church attendance, it's not about be good, it's about receiving what you and I could never earn on our own. It's about saying yes to the one and only. It's about saying, God, you're a loyal God and I wanna be in the part of that. I wanna be in the deep end of that loyalty, God. God, I'm yours, I'm yours. Have you ever given your life to Christ or is that why God brought you here this morning? To begin with Christ today. Because here's what I believe today, both campuses, there's a lot of believers here this morning. And the gut check always is, you and I start thinking about this, about all the people in our life and going, who's not loyal to me? Who's not loyal to me? Because that's where we easily go instead of turning it around and saying, who am I supposed to be loyal to? So right now, let me ask you the question, are you filling in the gap with suspicion right now? Is your life filled with suspicion and fear are you driven by fear right now instead of love and trust right now the relationships in your life are they strained or are they strong because God's speaking into that today for your benefit our loyal God is wanting to give loyalty to you today so that you can begin to change your culture with loyalty with loyalty But you don't know, pastor, if I open myself up like that, I could be hurt. Absolutely, you will be hurt. But isn't that the risk? Isn't that really what we're talking about here? To live like Christ is to sometimes to suffer like Christ. It's not easy. But I will choose the life that Jesus is offering me any day than a life apart from him, living life on my own and waking up what day like like David did and go, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Today's about being forgiven. Today's about trusting in Jesus and living a loyal life that he wants us to be living for others. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? Come on, head bowed, eyes closed, both campuses right now. God is speaking to us here right now in this holy moment.
And right now, I need to do something right now. I need to invite the person that needs to give their life to Jesus right here today. You don't need to come back for another church service. You need to right now give your life to Jesus because he's been loyal to you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. And right here and now, he'll do it if you'll receive him. If you'll receive him. Right now, would you say these words? Say, God, I need you in my life. I need that grace. I need that forgiveness. I want to be led by love. I want to be able to trust. I want to be able to believe. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Praise God. Praise God. Right now, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I wonder who here this morning confessed Jesus as Lord and gave them their life today. And today's gonna be your new beginning. Who are you? Who are you? I just want you to tell me who you are real quickly in this way. When I count to three, put your hand high and say, today, Pastor, I just gave my life to Jesus. Come on, who are you? One, two, three. Right now, be loyal to Him. Show Him your love. Show Him your trust. Show Him your for Him today. If today you gave your life to Jesus, Keep your hand high until we get to you. When we get to you, we're gonna give you a gift. Once we give you that box, you can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else today? Right here, we're here. Anybody else today? Come on, right here in the middle. Praise God. Father, you're seeing us from the inside out. God, I pray for my Christian brother and sister that's fallen short in this area of loyalty. Today, instead of walking out of here with shame and condemnation, Today, God, we're trusting in forgiveness. We're trusting in a new start. We're trusting that confession and repentance works. And Jesus, today, we need that grace that's found in you alone. Help us today to live in a way that's loyal to the people around us. Help us to run a marathon to get water for people that need to drink from you. Lead us this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Stand up both campuses real quick. Stand up real quick. We're going to sing these words as we walk out of here today. Prayer team, would you be here at the front? If today you have a prayer need or you want to give your life to Jesus or you did, let us pray with you and for you. Next Saturday, I, I want you here next Saturday morning. It's a family meeting. But I need to know today if you're coming, because I need to get food ready. If you have childcare needs, we need to get that. Get out your smartphone and RSVP today, today, right now before you leave. We want you here this Saturday morning as we talk about the future of our church. God is a faithful God. I love you, church. God bless you. Go be the church.